Welcome back to Intelligence Talks. We have had a short break, but we're back and we're kicking off looking at what successful UK towns will look like in the future. I'm your host, Anna Ward, Senior Residential Analyst at Knight Frank. Joining me to talk about all of this is Ben Bolger, Senior Design Director for the Princess Foundation for Building Community, Bill Grimsey, author of the Grimsey Review on how to revive UK high streets and former CEO of Iceland. And from a data perspective, we've got Cameron McDonald, Senior Geospatial Analyst at Knight Frank. So welcome to you all. And I'm going to start with you, Ben and Cameron, just to get things going. So obviously you're at the forefront, Ben, of creating kind of new towns, you know, thousand home settlements in Cornwall and beyond. Just turning to your walkability report, I mean, clearly UK towns are in focus at the moment. We're also seeing more jobs relocating from London to UK towns, particularly sort of government roles. So this week we heard of a third government department moved to Darlington and Durham, and that was the Department for Business, and that was after the Treasury and the Department for International Trade. I'd love to hear about how towns can really stick to core design principles while accommodating that future growth. So how your thinking has evolved since you came out with that report in December last year. I mean, it's been interesting. I think, if anything, the trends have moved more towards what we were focusing on, which is the benefits of walkability and um, the importance of local green space. Mm. It's not just about the amount of green space, but the quality of it and how you actually get there. So from your own home to the local park is becoming increasingly important. People are also much more aware of, of their neighbourhoods. So the amount of people that have said to me, wow, I didn't even really know my home because I got up in the morning, went to work, yeah, that's very true. came back, went to bed. And actually, <laughs> I've been spending a lot of time, a lot of time in my break wandering around. And, and actually, quality of the environment is really important. And of course, when you walk at a certain pace, you know, less than five miles an hour, those details matter. Mm-hmm. But I think the biggest thing that's come up, particularly with retail trends changing, is the flexibility of ground floor mixed use space. And that's, I think, the thing that we've been doing along with landowners like the Duchy of Cornwall that's very, very different from what the house building industry does is to integrate non-residential ground floor uses at affordable rents and affordable prices. You know, they could be yoga studios, they could be wetsuit mending places, they could be offices. But the fact that it's of a certain scale, the fact that it's affordable, the fact that embedded in the urbanism, you have a range of plot sizes from small to medium to large, that gives the inherent flexibility to absorb and adapt to trends as they go forwards. And if you look at monocultural housing estates that we're building now, they're completely inflexible, yeah. you know, even down to the internal layouts with the bathrooms and the wardrobes set out. You know, We're just not building the physical fabric anymore that allows that uh, adaptation. So, yeah, as you say, you know, this situation we're in now has really underscored the importance of looking at sort of walkable neighbourhoods. Are we kind of aiming to go slightly back in time here and looking at the layouts of sort of old market towns? Or if we're not just sort of aiming to go back in time, what's the kind of hybrid we're looking for in terms of keeping some of the value of historic towns, but then also making them relevant for the current day? Well, in a way, I'd say we sort of going forward in time and learning a lot from the mistakes of the last hundred years. You know, you look at the layouts of Pompeii and those beautiful courtyard houses had retail in the frontages. They had flexible living space in the frontages, affordable spaces. They had a whole range of things. So so we've been doing this stuff for 2000 years. You know, what, what we need to do when we look at settlements is both historic and new settlements is understand the frequencies of change, understand how quickly things change over time you know so so lincoln's high street has been there for two thousand years the hill's been there for yeah. probably a couple of million years um so what you don't do is put a massive great retail box right in the middle of your high street 
that's been there for 2,000 years because you know your retail trends are changing every 20. So I think it's, it's, more, it's more a question of really rigorously analysing the physical fabric and where that sits on the network and actually understand those patterns and understand where various use classes and things are sitting on the network. And if we want to adapt it to make it more flexible and we can see zones and clusters that look inherently unsustainable, then we know we need strategies to begin to flex that up, free that up, uh, you know, over time. So it's, I think it's very important mm. that this sort of science, if you like, is, is able to be intuitive and understood by people who understand neighbourhoods and the way that they um, shop, take their kids to school, go to the dentist and such like. Yeah, that's interesting. I think when you say geospatial tech, I think that can sound quite incomprehensible to many people. And certainly in your report, you know, it does actually provide a, a fairly straightforward way of really understanding quite complicated concepts. Um, so Cameron, I'd love to bring you in here just on how you're actually applying what you found, sort of live examples. I know that you're speaking to councils and various other people. What are they actually looking to, to do with it at the moment? Yeah, so um, as Ben just sort of touched upon, we're, we're utilising the data and our spatial analysis techniques to really inform decision making. So to sort of quantify the Prince's Foundation's vision, it's very much looking at a, a distribution of amenities across a settlement. And so making sure that mm-hmm. everything's not just focused on a nucleus high street, it's spread evenly across the town so that everyone has equal access to shops, primary schools, transport and provide evidence to, as you mentioned, things such as councils, local authorities, etc., mm-hmm. to really try and identify areas where there isn't that access to amenities and, and that needs to be improved when we're thinking about developing a local plan for an area. And we're also looking at it from an environmental consideration as well. If we're looking at developing a site, we are able to rank that site based on its access to the local amenities. Well, actually, these houses on this site only need one car parking space rather than two. So really sort of coming at that from an environmental standpoint as well. And Ben, Cameron's obviously pointed out the kind of sustainability angle here. Um, Clearly, given that kind of ramping up of regulation and, and pressure, certainly on communities to respond to that. And given, obviously, the fact that coronavirus has sort of accelerated trends that actually you were looking at, you know, many, many years ago. I mean, do you see timelines kind of finally shifting and do you think that we'll see real change and sort of differences on the high street and in town centres relatively soon? Yeah, well, I hope so. <laughs> I mean, I live in, in Islington and the amount of tarmac that's been taken out of the network for pedestrians and cyclists is huge. And I know it's annoying quite a lot of people and I've uh, even been sort of caught out by some of the routes myself. <laughs> but but the fact is, it's a good opportunity to actually sustain real change and we've had what is it 18 months of you know behavior change i remember when i started work for an architect's practice in cambridge we used to have a thing called a tea break in the morning <laughs> and a coffee break relaxed. in the afternoon <laughs> and it was quite it was quite civilized mm. so the idea of going for a stroll you know mm. the behaviors will change i think what hasn't changed and and really this is maybe where more government pushing and shoving and intervention is needed is is the inherent business model of the way we create settlements is focused on housing and housing delivery. There aren't town makers anymore. And, and, you know, you're seeing a lot of capital that wants to invest now in longer term 
plays in the market, but it really isn't commonplace. You know, you you still have a market that's dominated by volume house builders who want short returns and they don't want non-residential uses on their books because they build houses. And I think um, as we've as came out of the Building Better Commission and the stewardship initiative, which Charlie Dugdale's involved with from Knight Frank and Gail Mayhew, who was a commissioner, you know, th- this is really trying to shine the spotlight on the underlying business model. And if you invest over the longer term, you know, for 20, 25, 35 years, then obviously putting in the non-residential uses makes sense because you're actually building a community. So your last property you sell is your most valuable one. Yeah. You know, to a degree, selling a suburban dream when you build houses, your first house is your most valuable. And after 3,000, it becomes an awful nightmare. So I think, you know, we just need to get back and focus on the business model of a town making model and is prepared to invest in non-residential uses at ground floor non-resi spaces aren't attractive to multiples. The multiples don't Mm, want them because they're not the right size. Well, anybody who's an expert would tell you you're an idiot. (laughs) We need to stop focusing on building houses and actually focus on building places. Otherwise, we won't be building walkable places because there'll be nothing to walk to. (laughs) Very concerning. I mean, Cameron, you, you know, you're the one looking at the data on the report itself, I mean, how, how would you translate that, I guess, in a, in a sort of nice, neat summary for people listening here in terms of what, what the key takeaways should be? Well, yeah, I think from the, the findings point of view, we're able to assign towns a score so we can compare towns in terms of their walkability. But we can also go in to a much higher level of detail. We can actually look at individual roads or estates and look at a walkability score so mm-hmm. we can not just compare a town with a town. We can compare different areas within that town to look at the distribution of access to services across that town. Um, so I think having that flexibility or having a, a system that we can use at a really small level to look at that sort of granular analysis, which can then be scaled up to much larger areas for, mm. for comparison across towns or boroughs is, is a really helpful tool. Thanks so much, Cameron, for just clarifying some of those key findings. I'm now going to come to Bill Grimsey, who is, of course, an expert on how to revive UK high streets. Welcome to the podcast, Bill. Hi, Anna. We've just explored with Ben and Cameron how to create sustainable neighbourhoods. And Bill, clearly independent retail is a big part of creating a community, especially in the town centre. And I saw your running review this month into what independent shops need to survive. So what's your sort of broad brush aim with, with the review? What are you hoping to sort of bring to government? Well, we've got quite a lot of stuff in already. We're now gathering the data to look at what is actually happening with independents regionally and how they are surviving uh, this pandemic. Because one thing's for sure, the 21st century successful town centre will rely on a very strong backbone of independent business people. Mm. But what is clear that despite the uh, tenacity that they have, they are getting a raw deal, Mm. particularly in the retail sector, which have never really had a a national profile before. And what we're finding is that although they are doing their best, they're falling short of where they need to be because of the fact that they're not essential retailers, so they don't trade despite the fact that they might be a stationer uh, business and Ryman's is open. Now, how does that work? That's what we found. How does Ryman's become an essential retailer, but they don't? And we've actually got that examples of that. And, and, and it's that kind of, of, of thing that um, has just highlighted to us that government haven't recognised the importance of that co- 
cohort of independent business people out there. And in this attempt to support the economy through COVID, this blanket approach uh, doesn't work, as can be seen by the fact that the big supermarkets were embarrassed by getting the business rate holiday and they paid it back. Um, I wrote to uh, the Chancellor at the time requesting that he took that money, which is about two and a half billion pounds now, and used that to specifically support the independent sector. I didn't even get a reply. Um, So there's a lot of unfairness out there to recognise. And if we then compute that forward in terms of the support that these small independents have had, they've now got a huge amount of debt out there, which uh, a large part of it is going to default. And don't forget, that is backed by the government and supplied by the banks. So economically, we are facing into a real challenge, which from an independent retailer's perspective is a big one. Yeah, interesting you say that. Um, I mean, given the amount that you've studied this bill with the Grimsley Review and with your various suggestions over the years, I think most recently you've been looking at sort of that power shift sort of back to local authorities, um, particularly currently. Um, But can you give me an idea of of sort of what you think a successful town uh, of the future should look like? Well, ironically, Anna, the recommendation that we put in our 2013 Grimsley Review that you can no longer rely on retail as the main draw to get people to come live, work, play and visit your town because of technology and because we are changing as a society. And that was uh, now over eight years ago. Yeah, it was 2013, wasn't it? Yeah, I remember. So this community hub based on health, education, entertainment, housing, events, heritage, curating the space around the history of, of, of the place, making them look different and undoing the clone towns that my generation of retailer built. You will see towns that are completely carless. They will be wonderful experiences. They will have lots of open space, pedestrianisation, but they'll be full of commerce as well. And that commerce and those shops are more likely to be independent shops supporting the local brand. And that's why the curators of space need to recognise that and step up to the plate and start to plan that for the future. Uh, We need to have better in-town living for the ageing population, which isn't the ageing population of the past. Today's 70-year-old, and you're looking at one, is sort of like yesterday's 55, 60-year-old. I mean, I still ski, I still run, I still want to do things, blah, blah, blah. And I want to, and, and we've got all the money, by the way. And yeah, you're right. We do need to get out and spend money. And certainly that's what town centres need. Um, So I think what was really interesting and what came out of that for me is that clearly there's so much going on here. And really all of this points to the fact that we need to change how our towns work. But there's so much opportunity out there for real estate to make a difference. Right. So that is it for this week. Thanks so much for joining me, Cameron, Ben and Bill. For more analysis, you can subscribe to our research note, which goes out every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. See our show notes for more details on that. And please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and listen out for our next episode in two weeks. Thank you so much for listening to this week's Intelligence Talks.